The Heat were outplayed in Game 4. What was it that sparked the Celtics' third-quarter run, and can Miami figure it out to counter in Game 5? Plus, we talk about Jimmy Butler's reaction after the loss and his unique leadership style, and much more in today's playoff edition of Locked on Heat. You are Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily podcast on the Miami Heat. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Dave Vermill. However, you might be tuning in on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. When you enter the promo code locked on NBA, they're going to throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Uh, the Celtics said, don't let them win one, and the Heat did. They lose to the Celtics 116-99, to 99, squandering a chance to close out this series at home in Miami. Now this series is 3-1 heading back to Boston. The Celtics made 42% of their three-pointers. They outscored the Heat by 33 points from three-point range. Um, this, uh, I know we there's been a lot of talk about make or miss, and the Heat have been making a lot more than they've been missing lately. Uh, that was not the case for the Heat. On Tuesday night, it was the case for the Celtics on Tuesday night. Do you think it's that simple uh, in terms of what happened in game four, David? That's a simplistic uh, explanation for it. But at the same time, it's an accurate one. And it also just kind of speaks to a larger issue in terms of how Boston defended Miami in order to generate those open looks. Because they did do a really, really good job of defending Miami uh, in their half-court sets. Uh, whether it was denying Bam the ball in the low post or closing out on perimeter shooters, they would force turnovers, igniting their fast break opportunities, or at least just quickening the pace so that Miami's defense wasn't set. Let's say you have Gabe Vincent or Jimmy Butler drawing to the hoop, driving to the hoop on one end. They miss a layup because they were doing such a good job of defending those in the paint, packing the paint, as we talked about in yesterday's show. And then let's say those same scores would wind up falling to the ground. Next thing you know, it's a five on four sort of semi-fast break. And Miami's defenders were scrambling all over the place. And Jason Tatum starts getting confident. Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, they start hitting shots. Jalen Brown doing something. You know, it, it, it was basically, it's tied together. There's a synergy there between Miami's defense and offense. And I think we saw that yesterday from Boston controlling the pace playing tough defense and getting to open looks on their end of the floor. So I, I think it's a it's a concern uh, in the terms of making or missing, but at the same time, there are deeper issues there that Miami does have to find a way to correct in game five. Yeah, I thought the offense was, was especially bad for Miami um, in this game. They were holding the ball a lot. Uh, the spacing wasn't right where you wanted it to be. I thought there has been a little bit of spacing concerns throughout the series, uh, but the Heat have done a good job of countering that um, you know, they've, they've, and obviously making the threes, even when the spacing is a concern is better. And this wasn't the best Jimmy Butler game either. And I want to touch on that in a, in a little bit, but, uh, this was a game where it felt like the Celtics, uh, controlled the tempo, especially mm -hmm. defensively. The heat would just, they, they, they would get kind of caught picking up their dribble, trying to get rid of the ball. They ended up with 16 turnovers in this game. Uh, the first half was a lot better for Miami, but in the second half, it just felt like. Boston ratcheted it up a little bit yeah. and, and the heat look, I, I, I know that it's human nature, right. For 
the team that's on the ropes down 0-3 on the brink of elimination that played poorly for three games and rolled over in that third game. I wondered what kind of Celtics team we would see because I, I think it yeah. was just so surprising how much and how early they rolled over in that game three. But, you know, they came out with some pride uh, and maybe it was a little bit of false bravado early in the game, uh, earlier in that morning when they're saying, don't let us get one, don't let us get one. But um, look, they did what they had to do. They finally looked like the Boston Celtics. And yeah. I would have been surprised if they didn't look like the Boston Celtics at some point in the series because that team that we saw the first three games I don't know what that was, but that was not a team that deserved to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is the team that looks like it looked for most of the season, and these Celtics do deserve to be in the Eastern Conference Finals because they're that good. Um, so credit to them. But also I think there's some obvious things that the Heat can do in terms of fixing things going into Game 5. And to me, it starts on the offensive end. I don't know about you if it's more of an offensive issue or a defensive issue for the Heat. I'd say it's probably more on the defensive end, uh, hmm that you have to correct again. Cause I think if you defend them, well, you can weather the storm as they did in the New York Knicks series where you're not necessarily shooting. Well, yes. Yes. The first three games of this series have been somewhat atypical in terms of Miami's hot shooting, but even if you can somehow not knock down those shots and you can defend them better, concentrate on that. But it was just, it was, again, it was too tied together how Miami's defense or Miami's offense would wind up being stifled and then leading to fast break opportunities for the Celtics and then and again getting you know defenders scrambling not necessarily covering uh guys when they were on the perimeter they were making the extra pass they were playing better uh, we, we can look at today's loss I mean yesterday's loss because it's all tied together at this point but we can look at the loss and say you know, Miami did make mistakes and there's no doubt about it but you have to give credit where credit is due to the Celtics for finding ways of capitalizing those opportunities and enforcing Miami's problems I see already a comment about Bam Adebayo's aggression and I, you, you could say he only took seven shots. That's a very simple way of saying it. But at the same time, you have to look at how they defended him. They did a really, really good job of denying the ball on, on you know, uh, having multiple defenders out in the perimeter to force tough sh uh, entry passes. Uh, Al Horford did a better job, much more physical. I think he was allowed to be a lot more physical, too. There were some plays there, possessions in particular, where he probably would have gotten a call against him in the first three games of the series. That was not the case in game four. So... Uh, I, I think it's a, it was a tough break all around. Lots of things just kind of piling together for Miami. And yes, to your point, they were Boston was desperate. I mean, they had to play with this kind of intensity. It was a stark contrast to what we've seen over the first three games. And I too was surprised at how much they were, how well they responded with the kind of intensity. I, I knew that they were going to have some kind of answer, but considering how deflated they looked in the game three blowout. All the reporting since then about the problems in the locker room. Joe Mazzulla talking yeah. about you know being out coached and everything like that, and and then for them to really pull it together, uh, they did a hell of a job yeah. in Game Four. I said this uh, on last night's postcast, the like the short version of this that we did last night. But we do take, I think, I think we forget how prideful these athletes can be at times, and yeah. nobody wants to get swept in the conference finals, especially after this. And so um, they went out, they got one. Teams are 149 and zero when they're leading 3-0 in a series. Um, I, I, we're gonna talk about our level of concern here yeah. in a second. If there were a team to come back, if there ever was going to be a team to come back and be the first one to do it, on paper it would look like this: a number two seed, deeply talented, that shoots a ton of threes, that can kind of just shoot their way into wins, versus yep. an eighth seed um, that's maybe a little battered and and bruised here, that doesn't have home court advantage, right? For Boston. 
You win four, game four on the road. You've got game five and game seven at home. Um, so we're going to touch on that here um, in a second, David. But first, tell the listeners about our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs, so many different styles, but they're all comfy, easy to wear. You can wear them on so many different occasions. South Florida, if there's one thing that we're known for here is all the outdoor activities you can engage in. And with Bird Dogs, whether you're sitting by the pool, playing around at golf, going out with friends or family, they've got you covered. Their shorts and pants are great. I know, Wes, that you're a huge fan. You wear them on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. And they are just, they're the best. Uh, you know, option, especially here in South Florida, because you can wear them for so many occasions. They look great. They feel great. Uh, and, and they're great on your pocketbook as well. So just make sure to check out Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash NBA. And when you enter the promo code NBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. So make sure to go to birddogs.com and use the promo code NBA. Thanks for making Lockdown Heat your first listen every day. Every day is we're going to be back tomorrow with our friend Howard Beck for his perspective on Heat Celtics and what could happen in Game 5. I want to have a conversation about Jimmy Butler. Interesting quotes from him after the game, talking about how they need to go out uh, and just relax, right? Uh, Have a glass of wine, throw back a couple of beers, listen to some music, and and basically predicting that the Heat are going to win Game 5 on the road and close out this series. Now, Jimmy's been full of predictions. He said that they're gonna the Heat are gonna win the championship. And look, that's awesome, right? Um, I love I love that that stuff, but I do think that um it's an interesting I I, I want to get your perspective on this because I'm I'm sitting there in the press conference last night, David, and I'm listening to Jimmy Butler talk about this. You asked him a question in front of the program. Rohan Nakarni from Sports Illustrated asked him the questions, and he just kept saying, Hey, we're fine, we're fine in the locker room after the game, music blaring, like all this stuff. And I I think I came to the realization that this isn't just like Jimmy Butler trolling. He's not just trying to get laughs here. This Mm. is his leadership style. This is the way that Jimmy Butler goes. It is so much more important to do that after a loss than it is after a win. It's easy to go play music, have a, have a Michelob Ultra and and, and be positive in front of the media after a win. Right. But to do it after a loss and and to be so public facing about it, uh, I, I think it just speaks to that. You hear this all the time. You never want to get too high. You never want to get too low. You kind of just want to be right in the middle. You want to be steady wins, losses, and everything in between. Uh, and that, to me, is what that is for Jimmy Butler. And so uh, people will, I think, focus on some of the the more trolly comments, like we're going to go get one on the road and all this kind of stuff. But to me, it, it's more broad scope. It's, okay, this is how he's been a positive influence on that locker room. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh you know, and I think it starts from Spo too. Like, if you hear one thing that players say about him, especially in these high-pressure situations, is that Spo never shows that kind of pressure. Like, he's never phased in the moment. You could be down 15 late in the fourth quarter, and he's the same manic intensity that he does at the start of the first or even when they have a 20-point lead. He's ultra-focused. He's always, you know, competitive. He always makes sure the team is prepared, et cetera. And I think Jimmy Butler is cut from the same cloth. There's no questioning Jimmy's intensity and his devotion to winning. This is all he cares about. And at the same time, after a tough loss, there's this kind of idea from uh, fans of sport in general that they want their players to be morose, to be you know just apoplectic, unsure of what to do next, because fans take the losses so personally. And so for Jimmy Butler, 
it's not to say that he doesn't take it personally, but he also understands the importance of just being able to move on, get the team together, get everybody refocused. This was a tough loss. History is still in Miami's favor. They're not likely to lose four games in a row. And so why bother beating yourself up over it? They'll know what to do. They'll go in there prepared on game five. They'll try their best to figure it out. I asked them, as you mentioned, uh, about the, the the concern whether or not momentum would shift in Boston's favor. Because I know a lot of Celtics fans are hoping, well, that's it. You know, after that first crack in the wall, next thing you know, there's a little bit of a leak. And next thing you know, it's a flood of a, a four-game sweep after that. Uh and, and Jimmy wasn't concerned at all. He's like, no, in fact, if anything, I think it's going to build momentum for us because now we feel like our backs are against the wall. And that was something that was lacking in game four. They did not come out with the same kind of sense of urgency and intensity that we had seen in the first three games of the series when they raced out to that 3-0 lead. And I think Boston did, to their credit, again, capitalize on a lot of that loss of energy. They weren't playing with the same intensity, the same kind of fury that we had seen in the first three games. And Jimmy, you know, I think he was a little passive as well in the first half, not till later on. It wasn't Jimmy's best game. Uh, he no, had it was It was passive in the first half. He came in midway through the third quarter. And in that final six minutes of the third quarter, scored 15 points to kind of muscle Miami back into the game. Um, but it wasn't enough. It was a little, really. too, a little too late. But then, yeah. he, but even in the fourth quarter, like they were down by what, whatever it was, nine points in the fourth quarter. And we've seen this Heat team flip double-digit leads into wins, right, in this postseason. And that just never really happened. Jimmy Butler yeah. had his shot blocked by Grant Williams, missed a couple yeah. of uh, layups at the basket. Like shots that he was normally making, he, he did not give that superhuman effort. I know he looked a little banged up in this one. I don't know how much that ankle injury is lingering from that Knicks series, um, but if I am if if I am going to raise any alarm flags, then it it would probably be is Jimmy Butler starting to wear down a little bit because he looked worn down in that game. He did. He did look tired. Uh, he, he's, you know, I I think he's he's gotten to the point now, much like the the overall view of the regular season, he's got to pick and choose his spots. He can't just bring that kind of manic intensity at this point for 48 minutes. And I know everybody wants to make Michael Jordan comparisons, but, you know, that was a, a very different style of basketball, a very different animal. There's only so much you can do with the mid-range game attacking constantly when you can get demoralized almost as quickly with made multiple made three-point shots on the other end. And I think that was the deflating thing is, is look, they were up nine, you know, in the third quarter, midway early in the third quarter, I should say. Then Jason Tatum hits a couple of threes. And then uh, Grant Williams comes off the bench. He hits a three. Marcus Smart hits a three. Horford hits a three. And on the other end, they were doing a very good job of defending Miami. And so I, I think that is a demoralizing factor. Everybody wants to look at the total box score there for Jimmy and say, oh, well, he had 29 points, whatever. Again, those points were a little bit too little too late when he was aggressive, but it, it I think it was almost – Yeah, sorry. I, no, I think it was – It was it, in a way, it was almost worse. Like, it's it's great to want to see that aggressive version of Jimmy, but the offense – and Spoke mentioned this in the postgame presser – it stagnates. It's it's yeah. too, too much iso ball. Nobody else is hitting shots. And I know that Jimmy has to kind of take over games. It's worked on some occasions, but only when the deficits are slightly smaller. And I think when Boston's not playing as well. And, and I think that was part of it is that you know, Boston was feeling it. So it was it's it was five on one yesterday uh, late in that mm -hmm. third quarter. And it wasn't nearly enough. I mean, Miami kept kind of making these tough two pointers and, and Boston kept answering with three pointers. Right. Yeah. And that's just that's not. Yeah. 
like I said, I'm, it's an established fact that I'm not a mathematician on this show, but I'm pretty sure that that's not the formula that you need to win. It's higher than two, yeah. That's um, all you need to know. And uh, look, one of the things I noticed in last night's game was when Jimmy Butler was in the game and he was, it kind of like, yeah, the 29 points, that's nice. You can look at the box score, but like, you know, going into Tuesday night's game, David, Jason Tatum was actually scoring better than Jimmy Butler on average. Like his shooting percentages were higher. He was scoring the same amount of points. Uh, but it just never felt like important points for Jason Tatum in the first three right. games where Jimmy Butler, all those points felt like last night, I hate to say it, but those points kind of felt empty for Jimmy yeah. Butler, oh, the way yeah, that they felt for Jason here. Tatum in the first three games. And and I actually liked Miami's offense more when Jimmy Butler wasn't in the game. And Absolutely. and look, it, the offensive numbers don't bear it out, but I thought just the process of the shots, the ball movement and all these things were better. Um, and look, that's not new, right? The Heat have basically had two different offenses this entire postseason. You have the Jimmy Butler uh, isolation offense, and then you've got the the Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, everybody eats offense. And toggling between the two has worked. And I'm not saying it's not working, okay? They lost one game. They have not swept any series this entire playoffs. They've won every series so far in this playoffs. But uh, when when one of those two offenses isn't really working, and the one is the Jimmy Butler offense, that puts Spo in kind of a tough position, right? And I think that's why we saw maybe Jimmy Butler rest as much as he did in that fourth quarter. What did you make of like because the the they go on that run? It was like um, a six zero little spurt of a run, right? right? Um, and then Joe Mazzulla calls a timeout. And by the way, biggest adjustment of the series: Joe Mazzulla calling timeouts during heat, early on heat runs. Um, and Tatum comes back in. They score four straight. Jimmy Butler does not come in when Tatum comes in. Yeah. And then Spo is forced to call a timeout like two minutes later. And then Jimmy Butler comes in. I, I think it's it, it's too simplistic to say, well, that was the game right there. I think that the, the Celtics were just shooting much better than the Heat were. And that that, that run was probably not going to be uh, sustained regardless. But what did yeah. you think of, of Spoh's decision? Because I found it curious. I did. That, yeah. that, that Spo did not check Jimmy Butler back into the game at nine minutes as opposed to when he brought him back into the game at like seven or eight minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, I, I think uh, Rowan mentioned something about it too on via Twitter. It seemed like Spo got a little too cute. I, I think the, they were going to get a, another a TV timeout shortly there afterwards, and uh, he, I guess he thought he could write it out. And in that one minute and a half of gameplay where Jimmy wasn't in the game, Celtics were able to increase their lead there. And by that point, when Jimmy did come back in, it was impossible for or any kind of mounting of comebacks there. So it was. Uh, Probably not the best decision. And I know you don't want to go to that well. Maybe there was something to it. I, I don't – we've seen Jimmy fight I wonder if it was Spo thinking the same thing I thought was, hey, the I kind of like the ball movement and the offense more when he's out. Yeah, it's it's possible. Uh, you know, this is – I like the point about Tatum being the, the series' leading scorer. Aside – even before game four – he was the the leading scorer yeah. in the series, uh, but the shot percentages weren't there, obviously. Uh, and the offense has been too predictable. A lot of iso ball between the two Jays. Uh, not a lot. Well, the of biggest ball problem wasn't even the percentages; it was the turnovers. It was just yeah. it was Jason Tatum just turning the ball over. His turnover to assist ratio being upside down. Um, but the the Celtics won the turnover battle in Game Four. Um, they won the rebounding battle. They won like all the important things. The, the offensive rebounds, 50-50 balls, like down the stretch. They just played with more energy. And to a man, uh, everybody that we talked to post-game in the locker room at the podium, Eric Spolstra said, yep, pretty much. They played with more energy. They came out with that fight. They did that. Um, I don't know that it's enough to sound the alarm bells. I, I kind of teased it earlier, but David, just like your general level uh, of 
concern right now for the Miami Heat? Mid mid concern, I'd say. Mid concern. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, not 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 panic certainly. Right. Uh, but you know, I you, you don't want Boston to feel like they've been given a chance. And and I know people are saying, well, they play worse at Boston. Well, that wasn't enough to stop them in game seven versus the Sixers either. And I know the Sixers kind of rolled over and died themselves, but a lot of that was due to Jason Tatum going off for 50 points, which is a statistical possibility. You know, you you expect Miami's defenders to be able to challenge him more than whatever Philadelphia uh, defended him with uh, in game seven. And yet, he is that good, and 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 he was that good yesterday in Game Four. You know, he he can get that that step back, side step three. He'll create space, and he sees that first one fall, and he starts to feel it himself. Uh, he, he look, he's not going to get that shoulder called against him. You know, he creates space that way by leaning that shoulder. There was a couple plays there where he was pushing off Gabe Vincent, Max Drews, anybody who was on him to create that spacing. And they're going to let him go with that. And they're not going to call it against him. And, and if that's enough for him to be able to create that little space and he starts to feel that kind of rhythm early on, that could spell doom for Miami. If you go there, let's say you lose game five. If the Heat go in there and lose game five, does Boston come back in game six and feel like, all right, now it's a 3-2 series. It's completely different. Uh, we have a chance. And we were comfortable. And, and you look at what Boston's done all season. They are a very good team. You know, Miami... Being up 3-0 is the anomaly here, not yeah. the other way around. And and so I, I think you have to have some concern. I also like the temperament of the team, the fact that they took the loss personally, but weren't going to just hang their heads over it. We're focused. We're a little bit more intense. Like Jimmy, I, I mentioned this in yesterday's show. Unfortunately, the audio uh, did not get recorded. But, you know, Jimmy seemed downright joyful, singing up at the podium, very, very comfortable talking about you know having a couple beers relaxing with the teammates and then just kind of focusing in on what's necessary to win in game five and and that being the case heat fans should take some some nice confidence in that as well i'll tell you why i'm really confident hmm. in the miami heat for game five i'm gonna do that after this this is locked on heat thanks so much for making locked on heat your first listen every day every day or is- We're going to be back tomorrow with our friend Howard Beck on his perspective on Heat Celtics. You can reach Locked on Heat on Twitter, Instagram, email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody um, commenting here, watching YouTube live. Uh, If you're watching us right now, feel free to leave your questions in the comment section. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Here's the number one reason why I'm I'm optimistic about the Heat's chances to close this out in Game 5. Not just the series. Boston, Thursday night. This is the first time this series where Eric Spolstra has been put in position to have to make the adjustments. Yeah. Right. And um, if I'm Joe Missoula, I'm a little worried about that because Mm. like I said this earlier, like the biggest adjustment that Missoula made was a, I'm going to call timeouts while the heat are making their runs and B my players are going to shoot better from three point range. (laughs) And so I think for the heat, who have shot relatively well throughout the playoffs and uh, throughout specifically this series very well. Uh, now you're asking Eric Spolstra to make some adjustments. Now he's the one that gets to go into in, into his film room and and crunch the the numbers and, and watch some of this stuff and and figure out where some new weaknesses are and where some adjustments could be made. And I am not smart enough to know what specific kind of floppy actions and backdoor cuts and whatever the kind of uh, slot cuts and ghost this. That, that Eric Spolstra is going to draw up, right? Nobody is, and that's why Spolstra is the best in the league at what it is that he does. But I do have one adjustment that I kind of want to float your way. All right. 
might it be time to bench Kevin Love? He doesn't have to not play, but he only played 12 minutes in this one. He's had the short leash a lot of this series. He comes out after like four or five minutes in some of these games. Um, and I thought early in this game, when I, I, when it looked like Boston was playing with tempo, Kevin Love really couldn't hang, right? right. And he even waved to kind of come out early in this one too and good self-awareness by him. But like this team plays better in this series when Caleb Martin is in the game at that four spot, especially after... Boston went small with their three-guard lineup and ditched that double-big lineup. And even in this last game, we didn't even see much of the double-big lineup at all. In game three, Missoula went to that three-guard lineup, but he would still like kind of get halfway through the first quarter back to the double-big lineup. And he didn't do that in game four. He really doubled down on the three guards, playing one of Al Horford, Robert Williams at a time. And I just don't know if he's going to do that, if this is the series for Kevin Love. I think Kevin Love can start for you in the NBA Finals if he do end up getting to that point. This is not a long-term thing for me with Kevin Love. I just think if you need to go get one game in Boston and what you need is tone setting yep. early in that game, I like Caleb Martin for that assignment. I, I, I agree 100%. I think he's a better option right now. And I think Love has the temperament and the self-awareness, as you said, to know that his role is probably – not best as a starter in this series. I think he can still make an impact. As you said, he can play later on. You can bring him off yeah. the bench. Backup space the floor. Yeah, backup big. He might be it. a better uh, backup center option than Cody Zeller. It's been a rough series for Cody Zeller. Yeah, I, I think you you do less. You know, a lot of pick and roll with Zeller, and he was getting some looks at the rim yesterday. The minutes weren't as bad as they have been at other points in the series, but I think they'd be even better. You know, imagine, imagine pick and roll with second units with either Gabe, Kyle, Lowry, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, Love sets the screen, but instead of diving towards the rim, he backpedals towards a wide open three. And then whatever ball handler picks up both defenders on their way to the hoop, kicks it out to a wide open Love who has to be able to And if Robert Williams is now the backup center, right. Al Horford starting, obviously, then you're drawing po uh, potentially Robert Williams away from the basket, which is Absolutely. even more important. Like, Robert Williams is planted near the basket when, um, when it's Cody Zeller in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because Zeller's not a perimeter threat. So yeah, exactly. I, I think Caleb uh, should start. I think he's going to make a positive impact. I think that's a good way of uh, matching Boston's pace. And and, and he's been playing phenomenally. You know, he can ignite the awesome. defense. He can be knocking down the shots as needed. He can be driving to the rim, getting cut. Boston's perimeter defenders. Yeah, the back cuts, et cetera, uh, drawing fouls. We've seen him take his game to another level, and I think this would be a great opportunity for him to continue to build on that. We didn't do blame pie in this one, but it is worth mentioning. Uh, well, let's just get to this question from Daniel, who basically writes it in for us. Uh, Bam, only seven shots. Larry, two of eight, four turnovers. Both were disappointing. We need aggressive Bam for the rest of the series. Um, tough, tough game for Kyle Lowry. I like the tempo that he plays with. I always like the tempo that he plays with, but he can't. He just he can't go one of five from three point range. You said this earlier, but him going one of five. Gabe going one of four, Max going one of five, Jimmy going one of four from three point range, Duncan yep. going zero for four. Um, like that—that that was the reason. I—I I don't really care about Jimmy going one for four. I, I, it was a little strange. They took four three pointers, but I like if Lowry and your other shooters are not going to make shots, then then that's going to make it really tough against a really good Celtics offense. Um, in terms of Bam. Yeah, I, I, I want I you to speak like, on Bam because I'm yeah. getting apparently accused of defending him. No, I don't of, care about. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the comments. Who cares? It's the look. I I think they needed more from Bam, and it was sort of the opposite of the Jimmy Butler press conference post game, 
where he did seem almost joyful and like looking forward to the chance to come back after yeah. a loss. Uh, where Bam was when Bam he does take it knows, more personally. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even the loss that necessarily I think that I, he obviously does not enjoy losing. That's not breaking the news, but uh, when he knows that he has not played up to his own standards, he does get into his feelings a little bit in post game, and he does take it very personally. And you can kind of tell. You can kind of tell with him. He's usually pretty dry post game anyway. He's not Jimmy Butler post game. He's not cracking jokes. He's not doing. He doesn't have that kind of personality. He's he's still pretty even keeled. But I think just being around the team as much as we have, you can kind of tell when he's a little bit bothered. And I yeah. I sensed that. It's subtle, but I sensed it with him last night. And and we do tend to see Bam when he gets into that kind of mood, bounce back with a big game. And it's been a while since we've gotten a big Bam out of bio game. And oh. I know that the Celtics have the bodies. I know that they cluttered the paint. And there's I'm not excusing Bam out of bio, but I do think that there's a reason why he did not score more than 10 points and only took seven shots in that game. And he's had to do so much defensively. He's been the, maybe the best defender in these playoffs outside of maybe the highest of highs of Anthony Davis in the Western Conference. Um, and, and he's been phenomenal in these playoffs. Okay. I, that's, I want to make sure I say that, but I am predicting a bigger bam game in game five, because when he gets like that, he tends to come out aggressive. And I, I have all the respect in the world for Al Horford. Robin Williams is a good defender. He is not as good as he was last year. I think bam Adebayo can and should beat those guys. They are not so good that they could stop bam and limit bam to the degree that they limited him in game four. So I think that we're going to get a big bam game, game five, or at least a try for it. I, he was a monster in game two. And in game three, it wasn't necessary because their shooting right. was so hot and they were up 30. So he didn't necessarily need to. I mean, and even in his minutes, obviously, I mean, he, the spin move against Jalen Brown is a highlight from all that, but he was pretty solid overall. As you mentioned, the, play, the playmaking, the defense, everything that he brings to the table, the rebounding. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how he'll bounce back. I, I, I think, Again, I think Boston did a pretty good job of defending him, and maybe there was some aggression there. I think a lack of aggression. I think there was also foul trouble going against him, which kind of stifled that uh, aggression to a certain degree. Um, and and yeah, there were a number of calls, here, and there were a number of calls also that I thought could have gone against Boston. Non calls that uh, they just let him play through, and I don't think he necessarily gets hung up on that. But there's only so much he can do to continue to fight through that. So we'll see. We'll see how he responds. I mean, he might. I don't I don't think he was I don't think he was bad in game four. I don't I just don't think he was good either. And that was a night where they needed him to be good, uh, if not great. And so we'll see if he can match that level of intensity that he brought in game two for game five on the road. It's a little bit tougher. Again, I mean, Boston certainly with their backs in the wall. Uh, whose backs are harder against the wall? I guess you should ask me. I mean, Miami and Boston. Yeah, the Celtics I mean, will have to win three more the heat have to only win one more my biggest thing too and this goes to uh this will be our last one jeff's question what's the biggest letdown of game four uh it's the fact that we have to do a game five i was kind of looking forward to a little bit of a break here having the chance for miami to take a almost like a like a a, a long break to prepare for a very tough denver nuggets team now yeah. you don't get to really do that um but you know if the difference is two days and you know it's not going to be that big of a deal but I think there is a high level of urgency for the Heat to take care of business in Game Five in Boston. Like I, if if you let if you let the Celtics look, they kept saying, "Don't let us get one," and and I do think there was some false bravado in that. But sure. some sometimes that's all you need is is get one, win one in Boston, and then all of a sudden this is looking a lot different. And Miami's biggest 
edge in this series is not the talent. It's it's the coaching and it's the mental edge. It's the fact that they are the gritty team, that they are mentally tough, and the Celtics are soft, right? But if the Celtics start picking up steam, we've seen what they could do. The first three weeks of the regular season, David, the best offense historically in the in NBA history, right? Like, they can get on a roll, and and they could be a really tough team. You do not want this to get to six games or seven games or anything like that because now all of a sudden you're giving Boston a little bit of confidence. And if you're the Heat, that's the last thing that you want to give this team. So we'll see what happens. Game five, Thursday night in Boston. David and I will be back immediately following the buzzer with a recap of the game. Everydayers will be back also tomorrow morning with Howard Beck, his thoughts on Heat Celtics. Looking forward to that. Thanks again for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us on your podcast app. David, thanks for joining me. Yet again, absolutely.